This is Xane Anderson, and welcome today to the Principal Podcast. Today, I'm happy to have John Brewer today. John is a Special Forces veteran. He's got years of experience helping people protect themselves, defend life and family. And I just am thrilled to have him here. John, thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, yeah, so um, <clears throat> I, uh, I joined the military in 2011, uh, straight out of college. And, uh, and at the time, actually, I didn't know I wanted to join the military until probably about six months before that, uh, just because I happened to speak to a recruiter that was uh, at the same gym that I worked out at. Uh, but once I <clears throat> knew about special forces or army special forces, I knew that's kind of like the type of job that I would want to do uh, in the military. And, and from there, you know, I started my career, I was selected, which means that I went through selection and then uh, they picked, I was selected to be part of the qualification course. And then from there, uh, I went and was, uh, after completing it in 2014, I was then assigned to 5th Special Forces Group in Tennessee. And that's where I spent most of my career and that's where I deployed from. Uh, but, but truly, you know, the reason why <clears throat> that's such a, a beneficial thing to me anyway is because the whole mindset of uh, special forces and SF for short, sometimes that's what it's called, is, is the kind of whole like, you know, getting stuff done and and no no matter if you have the resources or not, and kind of the whole problem solving. And then that's that's kind of been implemented in every aspect of my life and probably one of the main topics that I'll speak about today as well. So yeah, it's just pretty much, uh, you know, I was active duty for uh, just under 10 years. Then I came over to Maryland National Guard, just finished that up. I uh, didn't end up re-signing my contract just because I have this startup now and I want to spend time uh, doing that. But yeah, so I just finished up my military career actually. And it's a kind of a bittersweet moment, but at the same time, I do think I'm in the right place and and right time to kind of do other things and help out individuals here in the States rather than you know deploying and doing it overseas. I like that. Well, you know, as, as, as we think about this as it relates to parents, I like what you said here, this, this, uh, this thought that you have to get stuff done, whether you've got the resources or not. And, and I think a lot of times yeah. parents find, it, find themselves in that same situation. It's like, hey, I've got to protect my family. I got to provide for my family. And sometimes I may or may not feel like I have the resources. And so your, your expertise is greatly appreciated today. So I, I, let, me, let me tell you something, my thoughts that I had as I, as we, as I thought about this today. Um, as a father, and I think many fathers feel this, and probably most fathers, we, we have this innate sense that it's our job to protect our family. It's our job to mm-hmm. provide for our family. Whether we feel like we have the right resources or not, we got to find a way, like you were saying, get it done. Okay. But, this, but this, both of these, this, this, this need to protect need to provide and which i think is a responsibility fathers what would you tell fathers uh, or parents maybe even mothers who are listening to the show about how to protect their family based on your background is there any tips you would give or some of your experience you can share with us yeah uh well i'd say one if you're thinking about it already you're ahead of the game it's um you know for Myself and probably a lot of people, you know, even if you're not in the military or, or law enforcement, uh, you know, I consider myself hyper vigilant, which is a good thing and a bad thing, because sometimes I'm thinking about security stuff when I shouldn't be. Uh, but at the same time, it does give me that little bit of extra, 
analysis when it comes to situations because I'm not just, you know, I'm thinking about the security aspect. And, and a lot of times I find myself kind of losing sleep a little bit because I kind of go into rabbit holes about this, that, and what ifs. But <clears throat> so one, you know, there is a fine line between um, being prepared and kind of being obsessed uh, with, with this type of topic. And then it's best to always understand where you're at as a as a human being to know that when you are kind of falling down in a deeper hole of obsession not i say obsession but just you know going down a little too deep in the rabbit hole that you bring yourself back and and just understand especially if you're with your family at the time you know you take a deep breath you take a look over to your family and say hey they're safe you know there's nothing to really be truly worried about at this time now outside of that i think the main uh you know the main point would be just to understand the situation. And that that seems simple, but it's not, you know, because really, truly, we fear what we don't understand. And so if we gain a little bit more knowledge and a little bit more perspective on a topic, then usually our worries kind of resolve whether or not we're actually implementing practical solutions, or it's just because we understand the, the situation a little bit better. Uh, for example, you know, obviously, when we see stuff in the news, it seems like it's happening everywhere all at once you know um almost like that movie that just came out i think it's titled everywhere all at once something like that um but yeah so we think we think that what's actually happening in the news is happening right outside our door and it's happening on the minute every minute but in reality but it's you know it, it's it's there but it's not pertaining to you which means that you know, obviously, um, you know, obviously there are bad things happening. That's why we want to stay prepared. But at the same time, uh, truly, the the odds are uh, that any of those types of situations, especially when it comes to active shooters, uh, you know, kidnapping, things like that, that we kind of worry about right now, uh, odds are that they probably won't ever hit your doorstep. And, and thankfully so. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if we take a little bit of time to prepare for, uh, you know, even if it's just we take five minutes and we think about it or we do or think about it or we do a little bit of research and or problems and so it's like this balance of being prepared but then not getting you know not not taking security as like now it's your main job you're always thinking about it and you're like you know your captain security walking around the house you know just trying to always think of uh scenarios and things like that uh so like i said it's it's definitely you know it's it's definitely that mental health aspect to where you want to make sure you're staying in the right place for yourself and then also being prepared for your family. And, you know, once you kind of dive into it a little bit, you'll start to see a little bit of that balance. And obviously, if your family thinks it's getting out of the control, they'll hopefully they bring it up to you and say, hey, we talk about this quite a bit. You need to maybe we can, you know, go to the movies or, you know, have fun or, you know, whatever it might be. But at the same time, uh, especially for, um, you know, newcomers that are haven't really thought about it when you first jump into it i'm sure you'll you'll be all about it and that's what you think about 24 7 uh, but you do have to understand that that is an aspect of your life it's not the entirety of your life right i like it's not the entirety of your life right i like that you know one of the things you said it's interesting because you know i think the news does serve up a disproportionate amount of negative kind of scary stuff because they know that it gets it gets clicks it gets ratings people yeah. for some reason gravitate to this kind of scary thing. And you're right, from a statistical standpoint, your, your chances of being involved in one of these things are quite low. I mean, 
so you're right. You don't need to go around uh, being living in complete fear. At the same time, you know, one of the things you said, and I'll tell you a story just briefly. I, you know, one time I took my wife camping. It was years ago, and I just said we're going to go camping out in the woods. And it was kind of in the middle of nowhere. And I, and we were just as we were chatting, we we were walking along. And, and by the way, I did not have like a weapon or anything with me. We were just camping. As we were walking along, I said, you know, if there was a bear, maybe we just should hit the car alarm on the car because it would probably scare me. We had this like 30 second conversation about that. Well, interestingly enough, that night at about 1 1 a.m. in the morning, I heard this, uh, some snapping twigs in the the distance. And I said, hey, did you hear that? My wife kind of, huh, well, she was half asleep. And and they they got bigger, they got closer and closer. And I said, hey, did, did you hear that? And they got closer and closer. And soon, it, you could hear, you could almost feel the ground kind of vibrating. This this very large animal came up right next to the tent. It was the middle of the night and started going. <clears throat> and at that point, my wife was completely up, and we were totally not thinking straight because we had, you know, what is this animal out here? And and I do believe it was a bear. But we ended up because we had that talk, we we hit the car alarm, and within a few or four, three, you know, we hit it a few times actually. After hitting it several times, the animal left. And we were okay. I don't think if I wouldn't have had that conversation beforehand, mm-hmm. it was kind of so disconcerting that I would have thought about it. And so the fact yeah. that I didn't think about it for a little bit when the things were not stressful made it so that when the actual situation happened, uh, I knew what to do. And we'd already yeah. thought, it. is there any, is there any examples that you could give us? Like, I know there's every situation is different, but can you give us an example of understanding your security situation? You mentioned that. Like, so, you know, I walk, you could even say, you know, you know, I walk into a store, or I walk into a school or I walk into a theater or I walk into, or whatever it is. Can you give us a specific example of what you might look for in that specific example, even though we know there's probably thousands or, you know, even millions of different examples we could talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one uh, for your bear example, I actually have land out in North Carolina. And I think even though I've never seen a bear out there, I think about bears quite a bit when I'm out there. And so I always, I actually do bring a shotgun out there, which I know that depending, I mean, I think, uh, I think black bears might be in North Carolina and they don't get too big and maybe, uh, uh, you know, a shotgun would kind of scare them away, but I don't know how, how much it would have hurt them. But at the same time, obviously, you know, like, like you said, you know, it's best to consider it and then uh, hopefully it doesn't happen. And if it does, then you're that much more prepared, even if it's just, you know, a tiny percentage, you know, anything is better than nothing. Uh, but at the same time, when it comes to, um, you know, what I'll say is, we'll, we'll just say active shooters, because that's, you know, that's obviously on everybody's mind right now, <clears throat> with what's uh, kind of current events of happening. So active shooters, uh, obviously, most of the time, their motives are, you know, that that's a little bit of what I go off of is, you know, when it comes to active shooters, they're, that demographic of who actually carries out those acts is, is kind of specific, right? It's uh, in which I can't, I won't go into that because there's a little bit of profiling, but at the same time, I understand that their motives is either just mass chaos and they do want to commit as, you know, as much of a, you know, as many murders as they can as possible. So they're going to be in crowded areas. So one, first and foremost, if I ever go into a crowded area, that is a consideration I have. I'm like, Hey, you know, uh, especially if it's like a, um, you know, the movie theater thing happened back in, when was that, like 20, early uh, in the 2010s, whenever that was, uh, with the Batman thing, and then, you know, and then also with the 
shopping center up in New York. So it's always going to be crowded venues that, that these active shooters happen, and then obviously schools. Uh, so anytime I, I go into a, uh, a place like that or an event, I'm always one, I scan for the exits. So it, obviously I'm coming into an exit. So that's my first exit, but also at the same time, I'm looking for any avenues of escape and then also exit that I can use. And then I try to maintain close vicinity to those and normally outside of the crowd. So if it happens to be a, an area to where it is pretty crowded, I stay on the outside of the crowds because one, I hate crowds. I don't like to be in the middle of the crowd. I actually have uh, season tickets to, to the Carolina Panthers. And anytime we're waiting in line to get into the stadium, I am on edge just because I don't like being in close proximity to people. Uh, not, not, not that I have a phobia or anything. It's just, uh, I just don't like being cramped by that. But you know, when I get into those venues, I'm always in, in, in restaurants is an easy one too. Like when I want to sit down in restaurants, if I can help it, I want to sit next to a wall have my back to a wall, and then I can see everything around me. And that's just to, so, so I can maintain a little bit of awareness for what's going on. I'm not saying that I think I'm going to get shot in, in, in Outback or anything like that. But, you sure. know, obviously that's a consideration. Sure. Um, so those are, those are the real things. And, you know, I kind of call that like positioning, you know, whether it's positioning within a, a location and then positioning within, within a crowd. Obviously, I never want to be in the crowd. And if I can position myself within a particular location it's always on the outside perimeter and it's always near an exit uh, or, or, or an avenue of that leads me to an exit uh, so that's first and foremost and then after that it's just more so just being aware of your surroundings uh, you know staying out of your phone which is kind of hard now uh, nowadays and then also uh, you know if you are in conversation you know at least peek out every now and then to kind of look around and make sure that there's not anything abnormal standing out uh, and, you know, obviously we all know what normal looks like. So when that normal does stick out, it's easy, easy to spot. And then from there, you just don't ignore it. Right. So I see something that's abnormal. Maybe I see someone walk in and, um, and maybe he's got on a backpack and no one else has on a backpack. And I'm like, well, why does this, why is this dude carrying around a backpack? You know, what, why would he be bringing anything into, you know, wherever I'm at. And then from there, just kind of keep a, keep an eye on them. And then if they happen to be, you know, kind of hypervigilant themselves and they're looking around and scanning and they seem, seem a little nervous. And then they're like, okay, well, uh, maybe I need to start taking steps to either if I'm with people to get them out of there, not out of there yet anyway, because nothing has happened. But at the same time, maybe we're like, hey, let's just go stand over there. And I'll just say, you know, we'll just go reposition ourselves closer to the exit uh, if, if I truly think it's, it's a threat. Um, and then also at the same time, you know, from there, obviously, once, once a, a threat presents itself, if it's a real threat, it'll keep presenting patterns that will lead to the actual action. Uh, you know, it's, it, there's never a point in time where, you know, there, there's been a threat that, you know, it's just been completely, uh, you know, unclear that that was going to happen. You know, obviously they would have to walk into the venue. They would have to, you know, position themselves and to, to have that attack. And then they would have to, you know, access whatever weapons they're having. And then at that point in time, you know, for sure, as soon as a weapon comes out, yeah, you know what it is. Uh, but at the same time, there are, there are patterns that lead up to that, that, that anybody can really understand uh, or, or be aware of, and then just, you know, position yourself so where you're in a safe spot, or at least can get to a safe spot. <clears throat> Well, let me ask you this, this idea of positioning, this idea of being really aware. I'm, I'm guessing this is something that was really stressed in your special forces training. Is that correct? No. Uh, yeah, I mean, so the, the term positioning, no, I kind of, 
I'm kind of trying to coin that right now, uh, you know, when, when it relates to self-defense, but the act of, you know, that's more like tactical consideration and, and it's more of, um, you know, when it comes to like, uh, operational, uh, you know, operations in the military, you know, tactical presence would more so be, you know, obviously a higher, uh, elevation than your enemy, uh, you know, always behind the object of cover and concealment, which, you know, concealment hides your body and then cover protects it from uh, any bullet penetration, things of that nature. So that that whole kind of mindset then then crept over into positioning, because obviously, you know, it's, it's more, you know, I'd say it's more like, you know, covert type of, I would, I would actually say positioning is more so uh, more related to like CIA type of, uh, I say spy stuff, but I mean, it's pretty much what it is. Like, like when they're, when, you know, when anybody's doing, you know, something out in the open and they're just trying, you know, they're not really uh, showing their hand and obviously no one's going to be like, Hey, I'm a, a CIA operative or anything like that. But at the same time, they position themselves within, you know, a location crowd or whatever to, uh, you know, to, to do their mission. And then at the same time, obviously they have some type of security uh, consideration. So that's what I would say. It's more so cut because Obviously, in the military side, you are actively engaged in probably some type of firefight or military operation. That's very different than than what it would be on the civilian side of where I'm just trying to maintain a posture of like security and make sure I'm safe. So that's why I say it is probably more related to that like covert espionage type of James Bond situation rather than, you know, uh, Band of Brothers, you know, getting in the uh, you know, a machine gun fight with, uh, with the Nazis or something like that. So, so basically getting into, um, you know, you said avoiding crowds, avoiding the center of crowds, kind of being on the edge, um, get into a place where you can be aware. So you like with your back against the wall, so you can watch people who are, who are behaving that are a little bit, don't fit quite in, uh, the situation. Mm -hmm. Are they acting nervous or do they, like you mentioned the backpack kind of thing, just being aware of those things is a really good situational thing. Let me ask you this. Do you teach these type of thought processes? I mean, it seems like you teach them to others. Um, do you think it'd be a good idea for parents to teach this to their children, this kind of th thought process, as you said? Absolutely. Uh, actually, uh, I kind of recommend, you know, obviously I don't, children shouldn't be taught anything above their developmental stage, right? So whatever de developmental stage it is, obviously you stay within that realm because you don't want to give, uh, you know, you're not going to teach kids about, you know, certain types of uh, crime and things like that. And, and really, um, you know, obviously, and, and, you know, they wouldn't understand it depending on what their age, but obviously, you know, because once a kid gets to a certain age of like stranger danger, and they're able to understand certain stuff like that, obviously, that's, that's more, you know, what I would recommend, uh, you know, making sure that they understand that, hey, you're always going to try to reach a trusted adult. That's first and foremost. So if they're ever in a situation where they're a little, you know, a little distance away from an adult for, you know, whether that's a park or school or whatever, as soon as something that's a little weird to them starts happening, they go find that trusted adult. And obviously trusted adults, the trusted is the key word here because it can't just be any adult. Right. And, and it has to be someone they trust. And then also at the same time, uh, you know, more dynamic situations. Uh, obviously, there's, you know, I in the military and other places, they call them standard operating procedures, right? SOPs. And SOPs are something that can be taught to children 
at a young age, um, you know, like I said, once they start to understand stranger danger and things like that. Uh, Give us an example of an SOP you might teach a child. Yeah. Uh, so the very simple one is calling 911. So SOP, an SOP I would recommend is that, especially if they're at home, one, they need to know where a phone is always at. And if you don't, most people don't have landlines anymore. So obviously it'd probably be a cell phone. They, they need to know where a cell phone is going to be. And that's kind of hard because we're always taking it with us at certain points in time. But at the same time, there probably needs to be an SOP established to where like, hey, because, you know, bad things happen to adults too. And, and what happens if something happens to the adult and then the kid needs to call 911. So they need to know where that phone is, how to dial 911. And, and obviously from there, the operator takes it over and kind of goes, uh, goes to their script. But at the same time, um, you know, that would be an SOP I recommend. A very simple one, very straightforward. Where's the phone? How to call 911? And then, I mean, they should be able to talk and, and talk to the operator. It seems like even these SOPs or these standard operators, you could have almost any, you know, if you can take a little bit of time, you know, like, for example, if the house catches on fire, we're going to meet like at the mailbox or something so that like yeah. we're not wondering are you in the backyard or the front yard or you're on the side or in the alley or wherever you know wherever people are that we're going to meet at a certain spot or we're going to meet over at the neighbor's house or we're going to or whatever it is um if there's an emergency um what are how are we going to get in contact with each other if we can't you know like let's just say cell phones were down because there was a major catastrophe of some sort how would we communicate would we leave a note at the door would we leave a note under the rock would we i mean how would we do it right um, it seems like thinking those kinds of things through when things are calm and there's no emergency, when it, if there is actually a situation is going to be really helpful. Yeah. And, and that's really what it comes down to. Cause, uh, I just got done writing in, in one of my chapters that, uh, chaos, uh, confusion runs rampant and chaos. And, and that's, that's exactly what happens is if, and even if you do have a plan, sometimes that happens where you know, there's obviously confusion that gets thrown in there because you're in a heightened state of awareness, your blood pressure's up, heart rate's up, your respiratory rate is up. And with all that stuff going on, you're not going to think too clearly unless you just happen to, you know, train that on, on a daily, somewhat daily basis. And obviously that's where like some of the military practice that I've had uh, comes into play because we did do that all the time of running through scenarios or, or whatever it is or whatever type of training so that when it came to the real stuff, it wasn't really a shock anymore. It was just more so running through the motions and, and, and uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but more mundane of like, okay, well, this is just another thing we're going through. And it's just the same thing as training. And obviously there's a different little aspect of it of, yeah, I could, you know, there, there's a possibility of dying, but at the same time, once you have a very focused idea of, of what needs to happen, your brain doesn't even really think about that anymore. You just kind of do the task at hand and, and it goes from there. So that's why like, you know, I talk about SOPs uh, because one, they should be also universal. So the difference between like a, a, a plan, a safety plan, and then a SOP is the fact that safety plans are very specific to, to an actual uh, scenario. And, and really the only times that they can really get too specific is when you talk about home invasions, because obviously you kind of can prep, you can kind of plan for every, almost every uh contingency that would arise from a home invasion because that's your house so you should know everything about it uh, now anything outside of that you can have plans but there's always going to be deviations and you'll have to adapt to certain circumstance and you know things like that so that's where sops come in because sops in universal they can fit into any plan like i said with the call 911 
you know, that's that. It doesn't matter if you're specific. at your house or you're at the park or at the library right. or wherever it is, right? Right, right. So, so that's 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 the uh, real benefit of SOPs is that, you know, they're they're pre-planned, and I say that in quotation marks because I do want to differentiate it from a plan. I mean, it is a plan, but at the same time, it's it's universal. And a plan, to me anyway, is more a step-by-step -step process, and you kind of want to stick within that because anything outside of that plan is more of an adaptation and, and more of like, you know, figuring out other stuff, which obviously there could be other plans involved that kind of trickle down. And then you have plan A, plan B, plan C, stuff like that. Uh, but for the most part, SOPs are universal. They are very quick and to the point. And it's just like, hey, you know, something like this happens or not even something like this happens. But in the, in the case of an emergency, pretty much do this. And then uh, and it's very quick and to the point. <laughs> Maybe give us some others besides. I really like to call nine one one. Like, where's a phone? Where can I find a phone? You know, mom and dad are out of something bad happened. Yeah. You can call nine one one. Can you give us another example? Maybe some SOPs that would be good for parents to have besides just the yeah. call nine one one. First aid. Uh, I'm big on. Uh, I actually reclassed to a medic as I was getting out of active duty, so I'm, I'm pretty big on on the medicine side too. I think that everybody should have a first aid. Uh, sorry, everybody should have an SOP for. A first aid kit so actually having a first aid kit and what's in it <clears throat> and then also where that's placed in the house and you should probably have multiple depending on how big your house is and then that everybody in your household knows how to use the equipment in that first aid kit and then actually probably every now and then practices on you know each other to make sure they know you know exactly how to use it and those are just very basic equipment i'm not talking about like surgical equipment i'm talking about like ace bandages and uh, tourniquets, you know, go a long way. I know probably a lot of people don't know what they are, uh, but they're just a, a way to stop a bleeding. Um, it actually cuts off the uh, arterial flow to a, a full limb. So you'll stop a bleed in, in an entire limb. <clears throat> but yeah, so that's what I would say is the next SOP that's uh, a little bit more involved because obviously you have to set up that first aid equipment. You have to know what type of equipment it is and you have to know how to use it. So there's a little bit of training that comes with that too. But at the same time, I would say that's the that's the next, uh, if not probably the first priority when it comes to SOPs is, is to be able to have that first aid kit and know how to use it. Jeff, do you have any idea of where people could get this training if they did have an idea where to get it? I mean, obviously, if you have an EMT that's a friend, you could, you could ask them to say, yeah. you could come over and you know, give us an hour of your knowledge on, on a night where we're all together and we can practice a little bit. Um, I mean, is there any standard, any organization or anything that you'd recommend to say, hey, you know, you can call this resource or this resource, or would you just say, just be resourceful and find it? Uh, well, no, I would say, you know, obviously, so CPR is, is one of the, you know, obviously that doesn't fall into the first aid kit, but that is a, a medical intervention that needs to be known by everybody, obviously. And so that comes from the Red Cross. So Red Cross, they do their thing. They have trainings here and there you can hop onto. They're probably either at your local uh, like community centers usually, or you'll probably just go to the Red Cross uh, website and, and find training in your area. Outside of that, when it comes to like uh, trauma medicine and, 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 um, and things of that nature, I, I do know that there's a lot of companies out there that are starting to, what's their kind of, I say a lot, I mean, I, there's a handful that I know, but they're kind of uh, sporadic throughout the United States. So it's hard to say what's going to be in your area. 
Uh, but they're ex-military guys and they kind of do, uh, and they could be ex-law enforcement as well, but they'll do like uh, trauma training to where they actually do run scenarios. And so if you happen to be in those areas, it would be good. I mean, they're going to be a little pricey, uh, but you won't get any training like that anywhere else to where they actually simulate you know, trauma and, you know, the blood squirting and, you know, this, that, and other, and, and that type of stuff. And being able to be in that situation uh, really trains the mechanisms of treating a person and also the psychological aspect of it to where like, you know, to get all that confusion out of the way so that when, you know, it happens in real life, it's, it's not all a shock. <clears throat> and so and where can, and where can you get that training again? Did you say? Uh, well, there, there's a couple like where it's actually seems pretty real or there, you know, or you said blood squirting or something. I mean, what, yeah, there's a couple, that? yeah, there's a couple companies out there and I don't remember their name off the top of my head. I mean, I'm, I'm actually probably connected with a bunch of them on LinkedIn. Sure. Uh, and I, and there's probably a lot more that I don't know about, but, um, Red Cross, some, just basic CPR. That's, that's yeah. But I would say, so Red Cross is your first resource. They won't really go they don't get, I don't think they go really into like trauma and bleeding and, and stuff like that. They're just more so that basic CPR choking, which is all good stuff too. Cause uh, actually I had to, um, my niece had choked uh, a couple months ago when I had to step in and, and she was <clears throat> uh, maybe eight months at the time. And, and which it had been a long, long time since I had done, you know, the CPR training that we do. But at the same time, all that kind of came back to me right there in that moment, because one, that's one thing I was very deathly afraid of my daughter uh, when she was first born and, and starting to eat solid food and <clears throat> was choking. I was like, man, if she starts, like, I was just, I would just watch her as she's eating to make sure, you know, she didn't start choking. And anytime she would took a handful of something that was too much, I'd be like, I'm, you know, I'm right there just waiting, waiting to step in. And thankfully nothing has happened with her, but at the same time, uh, choking and CPR, those are taught by the Red Cross, and I do believe that those are are very beneficial, especially if you if you have young children. And then the the trauma stuff, I can what I can do is I can uh, put out a list or send you a list uh, in case you want to like put it up somewhere. Uh, and like I said, they'll be kind of you know I think there's a couple down in Texas, um, and then some out west, uh, and then actually maybe in the future, that's, that's more so what I'm, if I have a physical space for training, that's what I'll start implementing too. But at the same time, uh, <clears throat> and I really, you know, for Google searching, you might just be able to do like trauma medicine training or, um, you know, something like that. And, and it'll come up uh, a couple searches that you could probably go into YouTube obviously is going to have, uh, especially actually for YouTube, <clears throat> I would say like EMTs. When they uh, get certified or paramedics, they go through a, a trauma scenario, and so and some of those have those videos up, and it show it shows you how they go through their like problem solving process. Uh, and I won't say that they're hundred percent correct because I've seen some of them that are a little a little wrong on certain stuff uh, that they're doing, uh, but it's just little stuff. Um, but yeah, so you actually get to watch how like. Uh, you know, when an EMT comes to a scene, how they're like, and they'll say stuff out loud. They'll say, hey, you know, my scene is safe. It, uh, it doesn't seem to be uh, anything else going on. I have this many patients. It looks like they have a gunshot wound to their leg and then they start going through their stuff. And so they're saying everything out loud because then uh, their instructors, right, they're grading them. So they got to make sure that they're seeing everything that they see. So even stuff on YouTube like that is a little helpful to, to be able to understand the thought process of what 
uh, medical professionals go through when they come to a scene. <clears throat> Interesting, I like that. So one of the things I, I liked about when we first started out talking about this, you, you're talking about, you know, I'm going to go into a restaurant or crowd of space, I'm going to sit on the edge. And, and you're, the whole thought underlying that to me was kind of like prevention. This, let, let, mm -hmm. So let's talk about the prevention mindset. Obviously, we'd like to not even have a home invasion in the first place. I mean, if there's a home invasion, yeah. now we've got an acute, really intense safety issue. How, what are some things that you would say, some actual things... And, and I know, um, I guess from a parenting perspective, I mean, none of us want to have a home invasion. So what would you do to prevent that? What would you do to prevent um, an attack? You know, I know the situational awareness. Let's talk a little bit about some things, specific things you do to prevent bad things from happening so you don't even have to deal with them. You know, obviously, mm -hmm. if, if someone's bleeding on the ground, you do want to know how to help them. But now you've got a really acute situation. How do I prevent and maybe just give us a few ideas, bad things from happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so prevention, uh, I'll, I'll talk about in two ways, obviously the home invasion side, and then just being out in public. So the home invasion side is, uh, you know, there's certain things that I would do uh, right now. We live in town house, so we can't really do that. But if I had a home one, I would have a fence. So put that fence up, put it, uh, you know, to where, uh, most of your yard is contained within that fence because you want that physical barrier. Then when it comes closer into the house, you don't want any type of uh, bushes or trees that kind of prevent you from either seeing outside of your home or gives people to, an area to hide out uh, you know, around your home, uh, especially near windows and things like that. And then obviously, so this goes back to SOPs and I call them security SOPs in the book. Obviously that's not really differentiated outside of, of my book, but I, I do that because it's meant for a certain purpose. So what we talked about before with uh, first aid uh, placement and location, and then also what's in your first aid kit, that's more so a placement SOP. And then outside of that is security SOPs, which are just habits that you would do as a, you know, a daily behavior that then prevents any type of crime happening to you. Uh, and so when it comes to uh, your house and home invasion, the security SOP would be locking your doors as first and foremost, make sure your doors are locked. Uh, also, if you have a security system or anything like that, uh, the security system is up and running, the cameras are in the position that they need to be to be able to see a full, uh, you know, the full area of your house. Like I said, going back to the trees and bushes, can't have a tree or a bush in the way of, of the field of view of your, of the camera. Um, you know, and kind of having that, especially for, for mom and dads to where, you know, we have our routine behavior, putting our, our kids down to bed, but then we're also, we got to, once that's finished, we got to go downstairs or, or wherever, make sure everything's locked out, you know, and I, I've done it before to where there's been nights where our uh, garage door was left open. And then the next morning we find out and we're like, man, uh, you know, good thing, nothing happened because we were uh, vulnerable all night long. And so that's the thing is, even when you're tired and you don't feel like doing it, you have to go through the motions and it should be a daily practice of like, Hey, is our garage down? Yes. Is all the windows down? Yes. Are our doors locked? Yes. Uh, same thing for getting in and out of the car, especially in your, if you're in an area where you're a little unsure about uh, making sure your car doors are locked. Cause you know, they automatically lock now, usually the newer cars anyway, when you start to pick up speed after you get in and then they'll block around like 10 to 15 miles per hour. Well, they should probably be locked beforehand as you're sitting 
there in the vehicle because what ends up happening is we get in our vehicle we shut the door we start we mess with our phone or we mess with something else and that whole time we're looking down on you know at whatever we're doing there could be stuff happening outside our vehicle or someone coming and approaching our vehicle and if our doors are unlocked they have very easy access um <clears throat> and then so it, getting even further from that so when we're out in public uh you know that kind of uh so really what it's about is making yourself a hard target and what a hard target. So to kind of give you a comparison, and this is kind of a military thing. So hard targets are those targets that are, you know, they have a good physical, you know, security, which like I said, is either that, that fence or that wall or that barrier or something that's keeping you from the actual interior of, of whatever location it is. And then it's also got, you know, good security. So it's got roving guards and it's got, you know, a uh, gun situated here. And then maybe there's some type of technology there that's making it even harder to penetrate. And so that's, that's what's considered a hard target. A soft target would be like a shack in the middle of a field and everyone's asleep and no one's out and you're know, pulling security or whatever else. So those are, those are the different kinds of like targets that we kind of, uh, categorize when we're looking at, you know, what we need to do to be able to infiltrate that target or, or what have you. So on the civilian side of it, <clears throat> making yourself a hard target is more so about like posturing. So making sure you're, you know, you're not slouched over. You want to be, you know, obviously standing tall, shoulders back, that whole kind of like, you know, cotillion type of, I don't know if I said that right, but that whole popular like posture and, and things like that. Uh, you want to make eye contact with people. So you don't want to be down on your phone. You want to be making sure every time I walk past someone, which I'm in Maryland now, so no, nobody really does it, but I would greet people as they walk by me. That's kind of my North Carolina heritage there to where I just say, hey, that up. <laughs> yeah, I just say, hey, how's it going? And that's actually how I uh, kind of start gauging people, right? Because if they give me the same greeting back, uh, and it seems like a normal greeting, then I don't really think about them too much. But if it's someone that just kind of looks at me and either, you know, whatever their uh, demeanor is, that's how I gauge like, okay, well, you know, I never like really look behind. I might look in like reflections to see what they're doing in the background. And that, like I said, that's more of my hypervigilant state. Obviously they don't, nothing has ever happened. It's not like I say, hey, how's it going? And they get behind me and they put me in a chokehold. But at the same time, that's my first impression of someone. Is to say, hey, is this person friendly, or do they have alter alternate motives? Because if I'm, if it's at night and I happen to be walking down an alleyway, which I shouldn't be doing anyway, because I should be walking in well lit areas, you know, and, and populated areas. But if it happens to be me and I'm going down the alleyway and I happen to walk past somebody, I'm going to still greet them. I'm going to say, hey, how's it going? And if they uh, don't seem like they're a quote unquote normal person, then I'm going to be really you know heightened you know in a, a heightened state of awareness and i'm probably going to be ready to defend myself just because one you know there's a couple of things happening the placement the time of day you know obviously all these factors are ended up to where you know it's just not not an ideal situation to be in but at the same time that greeting is what gives me my first initial impression and then after that it's just like you know like going back to the hard target thing is you know i want to make it look like i'm the toughest dude around right and and that's for anybody you know because criminals they don't want to exert a lot of effort when it comes to the crimes they commit. They want an easy target. They want something that either they can get in and get out really quick because one, they want to escape. And if they have to spend time fighting you to get what they want, that's more time that other people can come help you or that police are called and then the police are on their way. So really 
you know, when criminals are looking for those easy targets. So as long as you make yourself a hard target, I'd say that's that's half the battle right there. And then obviously the the last little bit of it, if something was to happen, is more of your preparedness and training, physical fitness and, and things of that sort. <clears throat> I like that. Thanks so much. You know, one of the things, this is awesome. For people who want to get a hold of you, I know you're you're an author, you're writing a book called Fight for Your Best Life. And this it's an upcoming book that's on safety and self-defense. Um, and it's, it, did I get the title right? Yep. Yeah. Fight for your best life. Awesome. And yeah. you said, so where, it, will that, where will that be available, John? Uh, so it's going to be <clears throat> mostly Amazon. Uh, it'll be both uh, an ebook and a printed version as well. Uh, and then, um, yeah, so I would say that's the main part. I am going to also do an audio book because I know for myself, I don't like... <laughs> It's ironic. I don't like to read too much. I always listen to audiobooks. So that is something that I'm going to go uh, do as well. But the audiobook will be a little bit behind the actual uh, printed book itself, but not too far behind. I think it'll still be within this year. <clears throat> That's wonderful. For anyone who wants to get more information from you, I think this is really, at least from my perspective as a father, I, I could talk about this all day. <laughs> we could have like a six hour podcast on this. Where could they find you? Yeah, so uh, so my website, mindshieldandspear.com, is going to have the link to my LinkedIn in case, uh, which, you know, LinkedIn is more so for like collaboration with other professionals, because I definitely do want to get, you know, if you happen to be a professional in the security space, reach out to me there and we can kind of work on projects together. But at the same time, uh, Mindshield and Spear right now is kind of bare bones because I want to get this book out and develop that. But at the same time, once the book comes out, then I'm going to uh, kind of rotate my focus to the business side of it. I'm going to start implementing, well, not implementing, I'm going to start uh, developing, you know, further articles that kind of expand on the book. I'm going to try to bring in certain type of training and things of that. So mindshieldandspear.com is going to be the resource to go to uh, for, for anything training and, and stuff like that. The book is going to give you that foundation. And then the website is going to start expanding on that foundation because uh, that's really what the book is about. The book is about you know, it, it's given you a, uh, a practical uh, framework and kind of foundation of security, even if you've never, ever dealt with it before, so that then, you know, the very basics and, and how I kind of, my perspective on things, and then from there, you can start, you have the building blocks to build upon, and and like you said, and, and really, you know, it is a self-help book as well, that's why it's, you know, title Fight for Your Best Life, because not only do I want you to be you know, security minded and, and safe and secure, but I, want, I also want you to reach your life goals, right? And, and I do think that in theory, you can't reach that unless you have a safe life or, you know, you, you have some type of security consideration and all these things that you get in like, you know, uh, you know, martial arts training or, you know, firearms or things like that are transferable skills that can be then applied to any aspect of your life, especially problem solving, because that's the thing about self-defense and security. It gives you a very unique training on problem solving, which is done in every aspect of your life. So if you can pro if you can solve problems in a very chaotic life or death situation, you can solve pretty much any problem there is, uh, whether that's figuring out what what's for dinner or you know what to wear the next day or you know whatever it is. You know, um, <clears throat> so I do think that you know the book it will give you practical solutions, but it also help you out and and trying to figure out you know, where your life direction or, you know, just aligning your life with what you truly want to do. I love that. So 
feel free at mindshieldandspear.com. You can also find Fight for Your Best Life on Amazon. These are great resources. You know, John, I'm just going to backtrack one little bit, I just because it's something that I noticed as we were talking. You know, one of the things I've noticed, even as we're talking, is you seem very level-headed, seem like you take a very uh, level-headed approach. I mean, as we're talking about these really serious kind of scary things, even it's just like, hey, here's a here's a detailed plan what we could talk about. Talk, tell us just a little bit more about mindset um, or this this ability. It seems like that's an important piece. You know, people something that happens and people a lot of times will go into this panic. And you're right, they're not thinking straight. How do you keep your mindset level headed? Yeah. So. <clears throat> A lot of that comes, you know, actually in the moment comes from training and you can't get away from it unless you actually run yourself through those scenarios and that type of training, there are going to be some, uh, I'll call it deviations in your emotion uh, to where, you know, you're going to kind of be up and down until you find your uh, balance between that. But, you know, how I kind of see stuff, one, I do think that you know, because I can't say that I was like this all my life. I definitely wasn't. It wasn't until I joined the military. And even then it wasn't until, you know, certain stuff, uh, you know, on deployments and things like that, that I really gained perspective on a lot of stuff. And that's why I say like uh, perspective is a huge thing in life. Like if, if you're very closed-minded and you're very, uh, you know, into yourself and, and don't really branch out to understand different perspectives of the world, then you're, you're, you're not going to be as prepared as you could be in certain situations. And then also at the same time, uh, one, you have to understand that bad things do happen and, and that they can happen at any moment's notice. And that's not to scare you. That's not to create fear. That's just to show the reality of how the world is. And, and, and we have to be realistic about things, you know, and, and that's the thing is, is obviously, uh, <laughs> you know, I say certain stuff and I've, you know, I'm calm right now, but if something was to happen to my family, I probably would be a lot different person than, than what you would see here. But at least at the same time, uh, you know, and, and hopefully I'm doing the things that I need to do prepare, you know, to prevent whatever situation that might be. Now we're not Nostradamus and we can't see into the future and there's an infinite amount of situations that could happen. But, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, it comes down to being able to identify and analyze problems that are more relevant to your life. So obviously you got to kind of sit down and say, Hey, you know, what's, what's going on in my life? What are the possible threats? And then how do I mitigate those threats? And then once you kind of got that going on and you kind of refine in it as your life continues uh, or progresses, and maybe there's new things that come in, but everything is still within that circle. I'd say you're, you're doing pretty well for yourself and, and you don't really need to worry about too much. You don't need to worry about meteors falling down from the sky or the earth opening up and everybody falling into it. You just need to worry about the stuff that's more relevant to, to your family, your, you know, your goals and, and things like that. So just make sure you stay within your circle. You know, you do the things to protect your circle and then don't worry about too much of the rest of it, because obviously, you know, there's a 0. 0.0001 chance that it, you know, it affects you in the long run. And there is a chance and, you know, cause there's always a chance, but at the same time, your focus needs to be where it's mo you know most important, which is your family. What you know what's important to your family, and then go from there. <clears throat> John Brewer, well, thank you for these for these great points. For those listening, uh, reach out to John. And the way we've talked, you know, Mind, Shield, and Spear you should get your book that's upcoming soon. Fight for your best life. And John, again, it's an honor to have you. And again, John, Special Forces, upcoming author. 
great tips today. Thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me.